Imagine an assignment in college as a dance major opening a door and leading you to a lifelong mission after just one performance. Hi, I'm Dina, teacher and reluctant puppeteer turned host of La Bifana's Table, a podcast dedicated to the art of sacred hospitality. For each week, listeners are invited to feast on real-life stories of hope and healing, as well as soul-nourishing conversations with folks from all walks of life who are utilizing their gifts in both small ways and large to make the world a more beautiful place. So pull up a seat, tell some friends, and become a part of a legendary story. Hi, I'm Dina Gregory, and welcome back to another episode of Labafana's Table where I'm joined by dancer, author, podcaster, and speaker, Anna Harsh. She's the author of a book called La Danza, Conflict, Passion, and Healing. So let me give you a little background into Anna. Anna Harsh made a vision board in the sixth grade about dancing professionally, traveling to Italy, and meeting the Pope. Fast forward to her senior thesis project that catapulted her journey to filling that vision and so much more. Her quest to find traditional Italian dances creates questions about her own life. Be prepared to immerse yourself in Italian dances, how families deal with grief, and the highs and lows of directing a dance company. Okay, take me, you're a dance major, you're writing your thesis. I'm writing my college thesis as a dance major at Slippery Rock University. And the college thesis project I chose was to do my own heritage. I'm going to research Italian folk dance. And so as I was researching, I found that there was nothing. There was no archives, no books, no videos, no microfiche, no nothing. It was before the internet existed, of course. So I had to make long distance phone calls, which were expensive. And so I called different libraries that were pretty prominent across the country of the United States. And they would just have that one line, you know, the Tarantellas of Southern Folk Dance about a bite of a spider. And that's all we have. Thanks for calling. Is there anything else I can do for you? Like, no. So I ended up calling a couple teachers that I knew studied in Italy, and they gave me some research that I could use. One woman sent me her book, and I was thankful for it, and also did an interview with me on the phone. Again, very expensive at the time. And then another woman who directed a group in Pittsburgh gave me more research that she had from Italy so I could complete my documentary or my college thesis project. Then my professor thought, Hey, you've got, you're onto something. Why don't you take it out into the community in your hometown? So I did. I gathered a few friends that were dancers and performed it for one festival, one weekend, thinking that was the end of the project. Like, I'm just going to do it for one weekend. And the ancestors had other plans for you. The ancestors said, no, my friend, we are doing more with you. And so we got gig after gig. And I kept asking my friends, can you dance again? They're going to pay us. Can you dance again? And so here we are 30 years later. I can't tell you how many hundreds of dances, performances we've done. It's taken us all over the country. I organized a group, part of the dancers, some of the dancers in the early 2000 to go to Italy and perform and tour. And we actually danced for Pope John Paul II. And he blessed us. We did a Tarantella and Yeah, right there in Rome at the Vatican. I was just like, what is happening with my life now? So dance just took me literally around the world and back. And so here we are 30 years later, 
the original few dancers that I gathered now have children, of course, married and have children that are coming back this year to dance with us at different events and venues and to celebrate our anniversary. So it's the next generation that I'm dealing with now. So I'm just trying to preserve it and so that the next and next and next generation can have it in the future. That's such a, obviously there are people who think like that in the preservation, but I think so often we get like in our journeys and we don't think like, hey guys, this isn't just about us. (laughs) Like there are some things that we have to learn to let go of. And there are other things that we have to learn to like bring forward with like a full force. And I feel like a bit of this folk call, like almost like a folk revival in some way. I agree. Because these are tools of resilience and resistance. And you got it. And where we are, I think, in the social pressures, this is what the people, folk, this is what the people do. <laughs> And the more, the more I research and find these dances, my goal is to get a dance from every region of Italy, all 20. So I have about 15 regions, I think so far. And, you know, which means I go back to Italy every so many years and I find a new teacher in a different region and he or she shares that region's specific dance and the reason why they have that dance. So throughout this process, I've gained so many life lessons from it. And that's the thing I think what we forget from, like that art emerges from something. There is a, an extra. There's a reason. Yeah. Outer pressure and an inner pressure kind of like doing this perfect weird thing. And from it, something emerges, a dance, something that expresses right. something of the time. It's like a time stamp. Yes, it's exactly a time stamp. Some of the dances I found are 2000 years old and some dances are, you know, four or 500 years old which is crazy. So the first book I wrote was about the Tarantellas in the Southern regions. And the themes were conflict, passion, and healing. Well, so those are the themes. And I thought, well, those are life themes. We've all experienced conflict, passion, and we all hope for healing, you know? So, so I just talk about my own life journey of those themes. And then I talk about the dances that reflect those themes. And so many people, especially Italian-Americans, don't know that the tarantella is a genre of dances. Like there's lots of tarantellas. A lot of people ask me, can you teach me the tarantella? And I usually respond with which one. Right. So, you know, every region has a, a variation of it. There's slight variations and they, have, they tell different stories and different aspects. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between like, is the pizzica? A part of Tarantella or is the Pizzica separate? No, it's part of the Tarantella family. Umbrella of Tarantella. Yes. Think about it as like, a you know, like an umbrella. And under that umbrella is Pizzica. There's a Calabrian Tarantella. There's Sicilian Tarantellas. There's, you know, Campania has a Neapolitan Tarantella. And they also have a dance called Tamariata. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's so many variations and... For example, the Tamariata has seven variations alone. I mean, I only know three. I'm hoping to know more of them, you know, but there's seven variations just of that one dance, of that one kind of Tarantella. So I'm going back again this year, back to Puglia. I have a new teacher in Puglia. So I'm so excited. I'm so excited to learn more about the Pizzica, dive deeper into that and see if there's variations of that. 
as well as the drumming that goes with it. So I'm buying the instrument, I'm learning the drumming and coming back with a wealth of knowledge again to just break open into and teach across the United States to share. Yeah. What for you, like as you dive into these like more nuanced, when you start, you go like, oh, I'm going to be in this genre of something, right? Right. It is amazing because I'm I'm not one of those specialized people. Like I'm, you know, I, I look at a lot of things. I have multitudes of interest, but there is something about like now you go, wait, I'm it's done. focused. Yes. And within that focus, there's also the multitude. So like, can you tell me a little bit for your own journey? Like when you focused in on some of these dances, that sense of I'm focusing in, but I'm also seeing all like, so what are some of those all? of Yeah, it, it kind of breaks you open. Yeah, it breaks you open. Like, for example, some of the dances that are 2000 years old hmm. don't have specific names or vocabulary for each step. So I had to create a vocabulary. This is what we're calling this step. This is what we're calling this step because I can't teach it to the next generation. If I just say, learn this step, what are we going to call it? Because they didn't have names for it. There's not a vocabulary like in ballet. There's a vocabulary that came in, you know, way later than these dances. So it's kind of like you learn more about movement as a human being mm. in general. You're really getting down to like basic movements and really understanding why they existed. You know, is it from pain? Is it from war? You know, being conflicted, you know, with other regions, you know, maybe, you know, coming into that region or other countries coming into that region, trying to take it over. You know, there's a Tamariata about just war, you know, and the arms are fierce coming at you. And you can see the dancers going back and forth like you. it really looks like a battle. And then there's other dances like the Pizzica, you know, has that red scarf and she's just tantalizing, you know, inviting her lover to come and be with her. And it. it's so yeah. passionate, but they just, it's an exploration of emotions of real life, real living. And I think I was like, oh, that's why I'm connecting so hard with this yeah. because it's truthful. It's just truthful. Mm. And that's what we all want to connect to. It's the truth. Like, what is the truth? And I think when you know, right. Cause there's like, there's the people who seek the truth with like heady concepts and theologies and philosophies and, and they don't, this is raw. Mm -hmm. They miss it because I think the truth is contained a little bit more in that, in the visceral, in the, yes, that, you know, I'm touching something primordial in some way. It's very primitive. The Southern regions are very raw, open, you know, jagged, wild, you know, very organic. Now, as you travel up the boot, it's a really different posture of the body. So you learn more about, oh, now we're getting into the money. Now we're getting into kings and queens. And now it's quite different. The air is quite different. And where you stand in line matters and how close you are to the king or queen matters. Wait, so I do want to just go back for a second because like, you're talking about the actual body of the dance and the movement of the dance influenced by like the land of the place and the... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, for example, let's say Basilicata, which is in the southern regions, you know, between Puglia and Calabria. There's a sheep herding dance because wow. that's what happens there. 
you know, and you do this bowing kind of movement that like a little sheep would kind of look down and a person, your partner would guide you around in the circle. Like they're the herd, you know? So it's a leader and a follower kind of thing. And they're mimicking what they do every day for life. Like that's Mm -hmm. what they do. So some of it's farming, you know, you have these scraping motions, you know, getting things off of the tree. I'm scooping up the land. You're giving praise and honor to the earth and to the sky for giving me the food. Yeah. And then other things are just different. But as you travel north up the boot, it's all about the money. It's all about the posture and who we are as people. And let me show my my partner off and, and take them in a round, you know, show them off to the community and how beautiful we are as people. So it changes from region to region. There's a beautiful waltz kind of dance la Furlana, that i've added masks to they're from the veneto region you know where venice is so you know being masked and revealing your beauty it's quite different and so again it teaches me a little bit about who we are as italians but not just one region you know where your family's from let's say but italians as a whole country what does it mean to be italian from head to toe literally yeah from head to the boot right there (laughs) all the way down to that toe yeah where my family's from is the bottom of the boot so the dances reflect where you are in the country what your posture does is quite different the nuances of the hands the eyes everything there's nuances that will distinguish exactly where you are in that region too so i have a question as as an Italian American, really tapping in and working to preserve that which was through 2000 years ago. My question is, how does that change based on the influences of now? You know, like where you are now, you are on American soil. Right. And so I'm curious what happens when we, when we're taking these dances from, you know, the roots of one right to the other. I'm trying to get back to the the most authentic or the most original I can mm. so I can show you what it was at the very beginning, as least as close as I can. But that doesn't mean that I don't create new contemporary movement to reflect maybe Italy today. You know, so my company, Allegro Dance Company, does Italy's past and we do authentic dances as they were first performed. But we also create dances that are telling stories of today's Italy. You know, they do listen to hip hop. They do listen to rap. They do love tango. My cousins love tango. So it's what Italy is today. And they are evolving as well because remember, lots of other countries are formed around Italy. So they have lots of other influences, Turkey. You know, France, Switzerland. Yeah. So there's even belly dance that has snuck into the latter part and lower parts of Italy that they love belly dance classes. Yeah. And I think some of those movements might sneak into maybe some of the folk dances today. I see a lot of things, parades, you know, that are incorporating different things because that's where we are today. And that's okay. I'm just trying to teach Italian Americans what it was originally. Like, let's have a starting point. Right. Because, you know, or at least the aspiration to do that. I mean, who knows? Absolutely. Do it. But I think the aspiration to go, really, what is this? Mm -hmm. 
so I can plant this from this and whatever it becomes, it's it's like going back to the original seed and then planting it here and seeing how it grows. Exactly. Know how it's going to grow, but let me try to get what this what this seed really is. It's like playing the telephone game. Yeah, but only with movement. Like, I'm going to teach you the movement. What he or she understands or sees or comprehends might be slightly different. And when they teach it again, it might be off a movement or two. And I think that's what happened originally when, you know, ancestors came over in the early 1900s. They're bringing dances from that specific time era, you know, maybe not before. But what I'm trying to find is the original rhythms. What are the original basic rhythms and how are they expressed through movement? And then we get to the truth of it. And then you find, oh, then you layer and layer and layer. So I've developed like vocabulary words that that we had to call things because they don't have names. And now, did they not have names at that point? Because it wasn't like, was it more of just a part of life than like we are making a dance? It was like, right. This is what we're going to do because I need to give praise and honor to the rain God, the earth God, the whatever, you know, and that's what we do. That's how we end our day. That's how we start our day. It's some of them are forms of prayer, you know, or if somebody was sick and bitten by that tarantula spider, you know, the wolf spider, then they would do these convulsive movements because they've been bitten. They're sweating and it's poisonous. And so people would gather around them and drum and chant and pray for them and try to do that through healing and get this person up and moving so they could sweat out the poison, basically. I'm not sure if you heard episode Sharon, who's a friend of Lava Funnest Table and a holistic, holistic kind of healer. And and we really went in on that of just how needed that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what they were doing. You know, and as especially as I, I look at the world right now and We're in a deep mental health crisis. We're in need of healing. Deep need healing. And you know what I mean? There's that, that sense. And I've looked at some of the, some early documentaries or whatever footage they have of like, you know, she's on the floor and it looks like something Martha Graham would choreograph. Like there's convulsing, she's contracting, flailing about. That's what trauma, like when you release trauma, that's what it it looks like. That's right different versions of it you know and and i think this is where when you when you can have the artist eye i think and you or the comparative eye and go oh that looks you call it that but it looks similar to that you know what i mean so here it is in a dance or you'll you'll watch one of these you know you know these healing church revivals and then in some way you're like wait that's the same that's kind of the same thing you're doing there but you're calling it this and you're calling it that it looks like we're all just Letting go of some old stuff that we don't need anymore. That's exactly it. We're letting go. And that's the moment of letting go. And the fact that they have the community around them to support them in their healing process and stay with them until they are fully healed is quite outstanding. Yeah. And it's rare these days because, and I write about it in my book, like when someone's sick, you know, it's kind of like somebody will drop off some soup to you and then they'll be like, Thanks. Hope you feel better. Bye. Yeah. You know, nobody's sticking around to say, what can I do after you eat that soup? Can I just sit with you? Can I just listen to your story? Can I just keep you company? Can I, et cetera? You know, we need those people to About do like, more. 
I don't know, between like the dance floor and, and the table, I do feel like we're all trying to learn like a different way of being together. That is not not what we got taught in the culture that we were raised here. And I think that's, you know, like where they were living in the extended family, right? The extended family would serve as that. But here we're all like, in, you know, individualistic. And then we're, we're, so we're independent. You're on your own. Why is everything so hard? <laughs> that's why it is hard. And I think that's what I try to do with my dance company is show the dancers that it doesn't have to be hard. So they not only learn the dances, but they're immersed into this cultural idea of family, basically, kind of <laughs> you know, mentality. Yes. And so after rehearsals, we gather around the table and have a meal. And I'm like, what did you do with your day? How did that make you feel? What can we do tomorrow? What are your dreams and aspirations? Share it here. And a lot of the dancers, because this is the next generation, are like, this is a weird feeling. We don't have family dinners anymore. What is happening? I don't understand what you're doing here. I was like, this is called family time. Okay. So family doesn't always mean the person that you're related to. It could just be a community that you have around you. And that's what I learned from being Italian. You know, it could be your mailman. It could be your next door neighbor, you know. That's right. I mean, when the doorbell rings, you just put another plate on the table because it doesn't matter who's at the door. They're always welcome. Yes. And that's, I think that's the feeling that I've always been trying to, to get to. You know, when I, when I think about, I went, I think that, that longing has always been like stuck, stuck deep in my heart. Right. And right. I kind of awkwardly find it through so many different things. And, I think why I, my career has mostly been focused on working with immigrant and migrant communities because they contain that. That's right. They hold that longing that I've had, you know, because, like, yeah. and that's where it was like when I'm, I was living upstate and working with like the Mexican migrant community, it's like, come over, here's a plate, you know? And of course it's like the people who have the least are the most like generous, the most generous. And you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And it was like everything that I had kind of grown up with, but then was looking for. My mom never understood that. Like, wait, she called you and they said they can't have you for dinner. Just put another plate down. You know what I mean? Like that was like unfathomable to me, my mother, that like, if you did not make the plan ahead of time and she would get all upset, I'm like, mom, people are different. Well, like not everyone. Right. And I think, you know, I realized that as you got a little bit older, like the way you grew up was like, what do you mean? You don't you don't eat as a family like you don't make enough for an army to come over. You know, like that's not in your household. Yeah, I realized that when maybe when I got to high school and, I, you know, you start going to other friends houses and you're like, oh, you don't you don't do that. You don't make enough bread for everyone <laughs> or you don't make those plans that dinner time is sacred. And then we would take that walk after dinner, that pasajata, like. That was a thing. You know, we took a walk after dinner. Yeah, do that. For- and, you, and you talk to neighbors and that's where you communicate with other community members. That's where you get to say hello. I learned that through being, you know, in the Italian culture. Like, that's not a very American thing to do. It's like if somebody rings your doorbell, you hide. You don't answer the door. <laughs> you close it up. But I just grew up differently. That wasn't. I think that's, you know, what we're missing. You know, obviously, the difference between. I try to keep this podcast free of politics, but I, I think there's 
a heart of politics that needs to be created. Like there's a way to do democracy, like in our regular life. You know, so to me, it's like, right. So we're all in these individual homes and that's part of the American dream, right? We have our home and our own this and our own this and our own this. And then you've missed the encounters, right? So that's why the dance floor is a place of encounter. To me, like, I love going to the laundromat. Like, it's a place where you engage with other humans that are different from you. And we've lost trust in our society because we don't do... Like I said, no one answers the phone. No one answers the door. We've become so individual and so independent that we think that we don't need anybody anymore. But after the pandemic, I think a lot of people realized I need absolutely everyone. Yeah. Like and everyone is a cog in the wheel and to make this machine go. I think we we had that, but I don't think we've sustained that. And I think so that you're doing the work. Like, I think we're trying to go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going back to normal. Remember when we were all saying, you know, like praising the nurses and praising the delivery guy. It's like they are a vital part of this society, this community. All have a function in this greater, like weird whole, you know, this greater whole, this greater, what I like to refer to as this legendary story, right? We're in this long legendary story of humanity. Where do we want to Can everyone matter? Can everyone's story be important? Every star can shine bright and there's room in the sky. So, you know, everybody has, there's room for all of us to shine. Yeah. But we just all need to realize that. I remember like at my cousin's house in Calabria, he was so excited to introduce myself and my husband to the mailman. The mailman stopped by and delivered the mail and he stopped and had coffee with us because he could. He did. And I just thought, what, what, what? <laughs> no, I can't imagine the mailman coming in and having coffee here. I bet like an Italian Mr. Rogers. That's a totally, totally, 100%. I was just so taken back by it that he was just like, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. And, you know, where are you from? And that's great. You're here. Your family. That's great. Well, don't forget to stop at such and such store or don't forget, you know, so it's a community. And that everybody is important. And that, I think that's why I like the folk dances. That when we make that circle, we remember that everyone's important yeah. in the circle. I think that's so. I've, I've been such a into partner dancing, you know, like whether it's salsa or fojo, but that we're in a, we're in a circle. And, you know, I was recently, I was able to, we just recently, a group, Andiamo, a Southern Italian folk kind of music and dance group is formed and, we were doing the dance parade. I didn't get to cool. dance parade because I was sick, but you know, we rehearsed and it was like those moments where we're like coming into the circle together. I can't explain the the feeling that comes over you that just elevates your spirits like to the high heavens. When everybody's in sync and they're all moving in the same direction, it's like that harmony that comes over you. And it's just a different feeling that until you experience it, you can't explain it. Yeah. And I think going back to the importance of the arts in a time period like we're in now is like you have to build on an experiential thing, right? Right. You talk about oneness and unity, blah, blah, blah. Those are just words. You got to do it in action. You got to put it in action. And that's what I think power of folk dances is like 
or circle singing or a multitudes of the things that are these kind of collective expressive things right. is like now you have an experience of right and, and you, you can build off of that like once you experience you're like that changed my attitude that changed my mind and now i can build upon that and add to it how much i would like love to have like the american government just like do a folkloric italian dance and everyone get republicans and democrats all in a little circle just dancing with each other dina years ago National Dance Week is at the end of April. And I did it for West Virginia. I was like the representative to organize some things throughout the state of West Virginia. So I organized, I called the city council in my hometown and said, I want to do the theme of people in power dance. Can each of you come and let's do a kick line together. I got the mayor and the whole city council to come outside of the courthouse. And I brought all my dancers and we all formed a kick line, counted down, kicked off the event. And then each of them came to the microphone and said what dance met for them in their lives. And so this one, one gentleman said, well, that's how I met my wife. You know, I went to a dance and I met my wife. So she's pretty powerful. And I would say dance brought us together. So that was a pretty powerful moment. Another person, you know, exchanged what it meant to them. And then another lady said, well, I was a rockette. And everybody flipped their hair around like, what? You were a rockette? Like nobody knew. She was like, yes. And you're right, Anna. People in power do dance because creative people solve problems. (laughs) Okay. So so the theme resonated and the city started doing more artistic things because of that. And they're like, you know what? We need to do that. And that was on the front page of the paper the next day. I love it. I love that you... It just takes one, you know, one voice to mention, like you said, plant a seed, grow a garden. God forbid it might grow. (laughs) You're like, whoa. And that soil's been chilled, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and they were just taken back by each other's story so much that it caused them to maybe listen to each other a little bit closer. And I think that's that's like so vital, you know, like whether it's our place of work, I'm always like, you know, I'm I'm always kind of, you know, in my work, like how do we bring more humanness? Like, hey, guys, like, do you know that we can bring our humanity to work? And like, we're still get stuff done. We actually might get more stuff done. Right. If people don't have to feel like so compartmentalized that they can just be honest that I could say I'm having like a, a a six out of a 10 day. So I'm not bringing my full self, but I think I can do this. You know what I mean? Like there's right. so much more humanity. And I love like the, what you're saying, like all these people who are in there. I just made a suggestion. <laughs> but they said, yeah. But they, and they said, yes. They're like, you know what? Yeah, that sounds interesting and different. I was like, I need us. I mean, can you imagine like city council people coming outside in front of in front of a courthouse to do 10 kicks to kick off an event? I don't know. I don't know if I can get it done today, but that was maybe a decade or so ago. But it was really it was really interesting to watch. I think they saw that how much more a city could do or provide or just give space, you know, where people could grow and programs could flourish or become something. You know, we had all kinds of dancers show up, adults, 
children from different schools that came and they're like, can we show off our dance skills through our jump rope? I was like, absolutely. You know, so it was like heart health and dance, like all the benefits that dance offers. But the biggest thing that they came away with dance offers community and unity within our community. So that was the biggest life lesson. I think they learned that day that we should listen to each other and that the arts are teaching us something. And I think by, you know, sharing their stories, how dance was so powerful in their lives, I think saying it out loud, you know, they realized, hey, that really did change my life. And I didn't ever realize that until just now when I said it and saying the truth out loud. So that happens. And you're like, oh, wait a second. I felt something. Right. It's a feeling of feeling. (laughs) This is different. Yeah, but I think the the life lesson that I learned that was, you know, I was younger, obviously, and I was like, oh, I could speak up and I can change my community by just sharing an idea, you know, hey, giving someone a call and say, hey, can I, can we do this together as a community? Just a thought, you know, I'd like to do an event. Got a microphone, we had the, the front of the courthouse blocked off and, and my parents were like, oh my God, look what you caused, look what you did, you know. But that's, that's beautiful. And for you, like, I'm curious in your artistic journey, your dance journey, like what has given you the courage to take the ideas and bring them out? So what is it? Because some people will have it and then they go for it. Some people don't. So for you as a dancer, how do you keep, how do you cultivate creative instincts that you have? What's your process like that? And I think maybe not a dancer, like how do they apply that way of thinking in their own lives? Yeah, I think I realized that improvisation was part of those seeds that my parents planted. Mm. You know, what can we do with the hat or what can we do with this? So it it's always that problem solving and creative spark. My brother is a musician, so he would play anything he would hear on the radio and he would challenge me, well, why don't you create a dance on the spot while I play it? So it was a game that we would play. And it's just play, you know, it's just creative time and having that space. I mean, we all took dance and piano lessons and, you know, growing up. So that helped to have that formal training. But the improvisational training really helped me the most. Yeah. To not be afraid to make a mistake because you'll figure out a way to get out of that movement pretty easily. So even this weekend, you know, I'm doing a solo that I have sketched out, but it's going to be a little bit of improv because I've had so many years of it now. It's not so scary and you have more confidence because you've done it consistently. So consistency is the key, practicing something like that, doing something that you're scared of, right? Doing it often, then it's not so scary, right? What are some of the other influences in your dance life? Yeah, I've had lots of kinds of training. I've taken everything from ballet. I was in a ballet company in in high school and did that whole nutcracker, you know, tutu thing. In college, I was really focused on modern dance, loved it, fell in love with modern dance. I've tapped before. I've taken flamenco dance, just anything. Musical theater I've dived into and I've done over 70 musicals. They've either choreographed or been in. So you know, that was something that, again, my parents were like, let's, let's put her in dance. Let's do this. Yeah. So, you know, we're all artistically inclined from 500 years ago to today. I've the genealogy in my tree 
somebody either sings, dances, paints. So it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. It's in the DNA. (laughs) And then you realize, oh, that's why I like certain things. That's where that connection, you know, you're like, oh, you like that too? So I have a cousin that used to dance for, I think, the London Ballet Company. And, you know, I just kind of looked like you danced for that, you know, so it's not a new thing in my family, one. And two, I think you just draw to things that you just enjoy. What were kind of some surprise discoveries for you in terms of you've gone to Italy several different times in different regions? Were there things that like jumped out at you in a in a different way, like something unexpected? What, what's been yeah. expected kind of revelation, epiphany? Yeah, I, t- I took a dance class, a private lesson. I danced with a group. She had a class going on in Naples. And then I had a three-hour private lesson with her to really dive in, you know, step by step. They teach very differently. Like, you just jump into movement there. It's not broken down like we teach here in the United States where it's like, okay, here's the first step. The arms are out. And then you do a port de bras or whatever. It's like baptism by fire. You jump in, you're in the circle, you go, you'll, you'll get it the second or third round. Don't worry. So it's that immediate, you have to have confidence because everybody's doing it. So just jump in. Yeah. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was in my private lesson, she goes, you already have it inside of you. I'm just showing you what it is. Yes. It's kind of that Wizard of Oz moment where Dorothy's like, you know, oh, I had this power all along click 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 here are my heels so i kind of that you know that light bulb went off i'm like i guess it always is inside of me i just realized it now you know yeah or needed that external mirror to kind of i don't know how this i needed somebody six thousand miles away from me to say you can do it it's inside of you darling go (laughs) go go and be fabulous go and Go and be fabulous and spread folk dance. That's right. Spread the spirit. You know, she's like the spirits inside of you. I mean, that was the other thing. Like, you know, we depend on counts as dancers. You know, how many counts is a movement? How many counts is a phrase? You know, we kick off a, a movement or a phrase of movement with five, six, seven, eight. So I would say, well, how, how long is this movement? Like how many counts? And she's like, what are you counting? What, what is this with counts? And I said, well, how do I, how do I know when to change from, you know, a paddle turn to this connection, whatever? And she said, when the spirit moves you. Oh, my God, I need to take her with class with her because that's my style. I was like, how do, how do I know when the spirit will move me? She's like, you'll know. And she's right. After I started going deeper and deeper into it, because some of the dances we do on stage, you know, my dancers say the same thing. Like, Miss Anna, how many counts are we going to rotate? And I was like, you'll know when to change. And so I try to keep it as authentic as possible, as organic and wild as possible through our shows. It's what I call organized chaos. Yeah. You know, there'll be a certain point like, okay, you guys are couple number one, you're couple number two, and you're going to couple number three. But how that evolves in the middle, that's up to the two of you. I'm not going to give you counts. Yeah. So you can see their eyes going like, oh, no, like, what do you mean? How will I know? I said, you'll know. And so sometimes a dance is called, you know, changed by a whistle or, or a roll of the R, you know, or a yell and that sort of thing because the spirit moved them. So it's time to change. 
Um, but the Northern dancers are different. There are calculations and it's very precise and precision, like a, like a military movement. Wow. So I've I mean, learned that really, everybody has those two sides, you know? Yeah, we do. I'm, I mean, my side, I'm, I'm, my mom's side is Sicilian. My father's side is Northern Italian. And I'm like, I, I definitely am more on like the wild dive into it. I'm like, that, that two percentage more on my Sicilian side is like running the show over here. But I'm, I'm trying to call on my Northern precision side a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, I think as the director of the, the company, you know, it's that Northern Italy hat I put on, you know, like, okay, we have to show up on time. We have to be organized. We have to look nice, et cetera, et cetera. Everything's organized for the dancers. You know, even backstage, all the costumes are organized and hung with their names on it. But when we get on stage, that's a different beast. <laughs> and that's within you. And then think about the multitudes of people and these different aspects of themselves. That like It's a pebble in a water and the ripples. You know, I'll never know how many people have received this rippling effect that I tossed in, you know, that one pebble. So that's kind of cool to know, too. It's like, know that you can make a difference, even if it's just like this big at first, you know, later those rippling effects will happen. And doing what you love. Yeah. It's not work. Right. It's it's doing the thing that brings you joy and nourishment. Right. Right. I've been like, you know, I got really up like I want Mabasana's table to be a place, you know, where people come for like conversations and experience that nourish. But upon saying that, like the thing that I wanted to create, it was like. Again, the art, I feel like this is, you know, there's there's some way that you maybe do a project that is. Not the way an artist would make a project. <laughs> right, right. No, there's sometimes you have to organize it differently. It's like, oh, wait, I'm hungry. Like, what is nourishing? So as soon as I said, like, Labafana's table is the place that, you know, where we come for experiences that, you know, nourish the soul. I'm going, whoa, wait, what am I actually hungry for? Like, yeah, I actually turn down projects nowadays, you know, because it doesn't nourish. You know, I mean, sometimes you do gigs or or projects, you know, to get paid and to be fed, right? To keep food on the table. However, passion projects like this, like my company, that's different. It's different. There's something beyond that. It's like, it's a soul nourishment that is distinct to you. Like, you know, I took courses, you know, how do I launch a podcast? Everyone's very kind of like, I'm like, I, this is like, I'm trying to satisfy like a soul's hunger that I'll figure it out when I get to it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I ask questions that I ask myself. Yeah. Like if I want to know the answer to something, then I'm going to find somebody that maybe right. has that answer. Or has like lived a certain way or quality that is going to give me a, a new perspective on it. I, in one of my episodes, I'd interviewed a filmmaker. And he lo- and he was sharing the story of the influence of Italian sculptors in America on the American identity. And but he's not just that, you know, he's talked to everyone. And, and he's like, I just it's that, you know, you're after some kind of knowledge and you go, wait, let me talk to this person who's been steeped in this because I'm not only going to learn the thing, but I'm going to learn that u- unique perspective through it, who it comes through. Yeah, absolutely. I've had all kinds of guests that are across the country that have 
loads of experience and different kinds of stories and how they got to their artistic endeavors. And so I want to know their stories. What were your stepping stones? How can the next generation learn from that? Because I think everybody thinks it happens overnight and it's not the way it happens. I think that is so vital right now because we live in this thing and it's like do to do and now I'm this. Yeah, like three TikTok videos aren't going to make you famous. They might make you viral, but that's not how the work needs to be done. You know, my company was through a lot of research I did on the front end. And then after one performance, yeah, I got a lot of gigs, but nobody really took us seriously. I don't think too far until I got to about 10 years into performance. I mean, now we're at our 30 year and they're like, yeah, if you want to know, you have to ask Anna. <laughs> now it's that point. But people don't take you seriously, especially as women, too. I think we have a hard time, you know, be taking seriously. Mm. You know, when I was 20, I started the company and I took them on tour at 23 to Italy by myself. I don't know too many 23-year-olds today that might do that. So that bravery and curiosity, I think, took over to try to, you know, reach those goals because I was just after information. I just wanted to know more. And that's, that's a whole, you know, as a teacher. That's a skill in itself. It's just going, will you surrender to that, your natural curiosity, right? And allow that to lead you, right? Because and I tell, I tell students all the time, it, it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. It's okay to say, I don't know, because that means that you're open to finding out what the answer is. And in the quest, I feel like on any of when we have like a a soul question or, you know, something, right? I feel like on the quest for the answer, it's like you, you end up becoming the answer in your, that's right. You become the answer by doing the things that you need to do. You know, it's like that, you know, epic journey that we're all on, but it's like, you know, I sometimes look at, you know, like, I'm like, you're bored. How's anyone bored? Like, I mean, the bored. Isn't there a saying in Italian, like the act of the sweet act of nothingness? It's, and that's okay too. You know, it's okay to be bored and just sit there and just absorb life as it passes you by. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, it's okay. That's an okay feeling. You can sit there and be bored. And then like, that is an essential ingredient of creativity and innovation. You have to sit for a while, sometimes just in silence. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid, like, I loved laying upside down on the couch. I would just like, and I would literally like stare at the ceiling, like in this upside down world. And I was completely content. Yeah. Completely content with this being in this new perspective as if like this, I was on the ceiling, you know? And right. Well, I tell young choreographers all the time that, you know, they want to fill in every single note of the music with a movement. And I said, why are you filling up so much? Stillness is okay, too. Let the audience absorb what they just watched. Sometimes you're making them too full, you know. Let them leave hungry a little bit. Let them leave with wanting something else because then they'll come back to the next show. But finding stillness in a piece can be challenging as a performer when you're on stage and you just have to be still and you have to sit very still for so many counts, let's say, but it's okay to make the audience wiggle a little bit and be awkward because life is like that. 
Well, yeah. And that's where the beauty of your dance, like the metaphors in dance and in life are just never ending. Like I feel like so many of the deepest life lessons are in so many of the metaphors of dance. And that stillness part, like we don't do silence and stillness. Well, no. And I tell you what, like I teach yoga at a at a park here on Saturday mornings and a lot of clients or students, whatever you want to call them, will come in and tell me, you know, we have that shavasana at the end where it's just stillness. The body is still and you absorb all of the work that you just put your body through all of the stages. And they said, that's really hard for me. You know, I have to wiggle or I have to do this. I was like, keep practicing. It's okay to wiggle through it, but keep practicing and try to find that even if it's for 30 seconds, find that peace so that you can just breathe and let your body absorb from what you've just worked on. And, you know, something might pass through your mind and that's okay. Let it float away like clouds, you know, and take a breath. We don't it's hard. have the integration is like, because we have the God of productivity in the, especially here. We have, we are, we, we have a God, the, our God here is the productivity. Go, go, Absolutely. go. We're 24 seven. So without having that space of, I went through th- something, let's give it a space to integrate. You yeah. Know? You're, you're allowed to have a space for that. It's okay. And I think that's why a lot of people return to yoga classes per se, because it is that space to like, just be still for a minute because life is so noisy. Like you said, with the phones and the jobs, family, et cetera, you know, there's no time in our day that we're just still and quiet and just absorb. For you, like, I, I feel like in dance, there is, you know, I've had a partner dance and it's like, I have found some of the most deliciously intimate moments are when it's like, you're hardly even moving. Absolutely. Like a little shoulder and you're like so deeply connected. And it's, you know, it comes from a place of stillness and subtlety. And like, if we're constantly us with the bigger emotions or the, the go, 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 like to not drop into those subtle places and see there's, there's so much in them. Yeah, I talk about in my first book about a competition. I was teaching at a dance studio and the students were like, well, you don't compete, Miss Anna. And I was like, okay, well, fine. I'll enter the competition as the pro amateur level, you know, like the teacher level, whatever. And so I did. I didn't put any tricks in it. No, no fouette pirouettes, no grand jetés, no, you know, tumbling or cartwheels or anything like that crazy. It was just about like a cell that grew and that became something and started evolving and moving. Mm. It was just very cellular. And so I came off stage and I thought, well, I don't know if that would go over at a competition. And, you know, usually they're like, bam, pow, wow, you know, with all kinds of big movement. So I thought, well, we'll see. I just wanted to be truthful to who I am. So they came to the announcement and the guy came to give out awards and trophies and they came to my category and all my students are looking at me like, you know, giving me that look like, well, we'll see. I got first place. Yeah. And, you know, they all looked at me like, how dare you? That came without sequence. That came without rhinestones and tricks and all of these things. And I said, you know, it's okay to be you. And it's okay if I didn't win. 
you know, let's say it didn't turn out that way. It's okay. I was just me. And it's okay to just be you. Yeah. And so they just kind of thought differently about competitions after that. But I was approached by lots of people after that about choreographing something for their studio or their competition because I kept winning awards at competitions for studios because it was different. Like the judges kept saying, this is really different, (laughs) you know. So I would just choose subjects and be like, what do you guys go through? So I did like one dance about just being backstage and the hustle and bustle about being backstage. So we had a costume rack that went back and forth as a prop and the dancers would jump in and out of costumes. It was a jazz piece and it won all kinds of awards. It was crazy. It went all the way to nationals. It was was stupid. You know, I was just like, it's just a simple concept. I think that's what the magic in the mundane, you know what I mean? Here you're bringing to life a mundane aspect of, you got to put your costume on, you got to take your costume off, you got to put it back on. And That's right. You have a 30 second change sometimes and you don't have time to think about it, you know. So I'm just taking a magnifying glass to what you already know, what you already do. And I've taught different studios to just look at what you already know. What do you know and what do you do that maybe people don't appreciate or these small nuances, you know, about owning a business or, you know, just the courage to be on stage. That takes a lot of courage. Do a piece about courage, you know, or just how it just feels like you're flying on stage when you're just hitting those marks. Yeah. I love life. It. Life and dance and tables and <laughs> the tables have turned. Let's just say the tables have turned. Thank you, Anna. This has been so such a blessing. Thank you for inviting me to the dance floor and thank you for coming to Love with Anna's table. And absolutely. Can't wait until these are in like in real life together. I'll send you information soon and we'll be on the dance floor together soon. Thanks so much for pulling up a seat to La Bufana's table. To get episodes sent direct to your inbox, as well as other perks such as access to our monthly community and connection hours, be sure to subscribe to my substack, dinagregory.substack.com. Ciao.